Welcome back to the Oscar Project Podcast, the show where I discuss Oscar-nominated films year by year. I am your host, Jonathan Eterberg, and today I am covering the 1928 film, Speedy. Before I get started, I just want to say that this is such a fun film, and I'm really glad that I got to watch it as part of this podcast project. You might think that the comedy in a film that is almost 100 years old wouldn't really hold up that very well, but I actually found myself laughing all the way through this film, and I can see why it was such a popular film and did really well at the box office when it was released in 1928. So let me cover the basics of the film before we get into a deeper discussion of the Speedy featuring Harold Lloyd. Speedy first hit theaters on April 7th, 1928. It was directed by Ted Wilde from a story by John Gray, J.A. Howe, Lex Neal, Howard Emmett Rogers, and had intertitles by Albert DeMond. It stars Harold Lloyd as Harold Speedy Swift, Anne Christie as Jane Dillon, his love interest, Burt Woodruff as Pop Dillon, Jane's grandfather, Byron Douglas as W.S. Wilton, Brooks Benedict as Steve Carter, and a certain New York Yankee named Babe Ruth as, well, himself. The film has a running time of 86 minutes, and it was produced by the Harold Lloyd Corporation and distributed by Paramount Pictures. Director Wilde received the only Academy Award nomination for the film for Best Director of a Comedy. The film is readily available on DVD and Blu-ray, including a Criterion Collection released from 2016. You can likely find a copy at your local library, and as of this recording, there was also a version available on YouTube. So let's get into a quick plot summary. The film follows Lloyd's character, Harold Speedy Swift, as he fumbles his way through a collection of set pieces that make up the film. The titles that open the film claim that New York City is in such a hurry that they take Saturday night's bath on Friday so they can do Monday's washing on Sunday. But the film focuses in on a slower-paced, old-fashioned corner of the city, where Pop Dylan runs the city's last horse-drawn streetcar. Dylan's granddaughter Jane is in love with Speedy, who we find working as a soda jerk, while trying desperately to keep tabs on his beloved Yankees, even while working the busy soda fountain. He even finds a way to pass the live scores of the Yankees game to the kitchen staff via donuts and other pastries. Unfortunately, Speedy loses his job when he is sent on an errand to deliver flowers, and loses them when he becomes distracted by an updated baseball score. Back at Dylan's home, he gets a visit from streetcar millionaire W.S. Wilton, offering to buy Pop's streetcar in an attempt to establish a monopoly in the city. Speedy realizes the plot, and when Pop asks for $10,000, he changes the request to $70,000 before passing the card back to Wilton, who immediately scoffs at the price and storms out, warning that he will force Pop out of business instead. Next up is the centerpiece of the first half of the film, when Speedy takes Jane to Coney Island for a day of fun. There are so many gags in this sequence that it's hard to keep track of them all. But just to name a few, we see Speedy ruining his suit jacket on a freshly painted fence, and a live crab that keeps pinching bystanders, or even stealing a woman's undergarments from her basket. On the way home from Coney Island, Speedy proposes to Jane, who declines until Pop's affairs and finances can be straightened out. The following week, Speedy gets a new job as a taxi driver, 
and starts off with another series of mishaps that leads to him receiving multiple traffic tickets and nearly losing the cab itself at least once. Before he can finish his day, Speedy lands a fare with none other than Babe Ruth, famed Yankee on his way to Yankee Stadium for a game. Speedy gives Ruth a ride he will never forget, bouncing their way through the streets of New York, with Speedy paying little attention to the road, more focused on his famous passenger in the back seat. Upon reaching the stadium, Ruth invites Speedy in for the game, where he happens to sit right behind the owner of the taxi company, who fires Speedy yet again. Before leaving the stadium, Speedy overhears Wilton on the phone, outlining a plan to cause a riot on Pop's streetcar and steal it out from under him. The law states that if Pop fails to run the streetcar on his line for 24 hours straight, he will lose his rights to the car and the line, allowing Wilton to take it over without paying Dylan a cent. Speedy tells Pop to take a break and let him run the car for a bit. He then speaks to a group of local tradesmen who have nightly card games in the streetcar when it's parked, letting them know of Wilton's plan. The men, many of whom are grizzled Civil War veterans, jump at the opportunity to join the fight against Wilton's, Wilton's thugs and help Dylan keep his streetcar in the process. The fight ultimately does break out, and Speedy's backup arrives as promised. However, the thugs stay true to their plan and steal the streetcar that evening, hiding it in a barn across town. With time running out on the 24-hour clock, Speedy scrambles to find the streetcar and get it on the line before 10 a.m. the next morning. With some help from the stray dog he and Jane found at Coney Island, Speedy finds the car and leads Wilton's crew and the NYPD on a mad chase through the city, arriving back on Pop's line just in time to save the day. In the end, Wilton finally admits defeat and tells Pop that he will meet the $70,000 price. Speedy jumps in and tells Wilton that Pop is a bit deaf and will only be able to hear him if he raises the offer to $100,000, to which Wilton storms off saying he'll send the check. Now, if that summary feels like a crazy whirlwind, just try watching the film itself. So moving on to the making of Speedy. The film reportedly cost around $750,000 to make, including $150,000 alone for the Coney Island sequence. On the flip side, it did gross nearly $2.3 million, including foreign box office revenues, performing very well and being well-received by audiences around the country. Several accounts I read in various magazine archives indicate that lines stretched around the block to get in to see the film. It was filmed in part on location in New York City, and the film features many iconic locations as they existed in the 1920s, including Coney Island's Luna Park, Times Square, Yankee Stadium, Columbus Circle, and Wall Street. In an essay on silentfilm.org, I found an interesting bit about a bet between Lloyd and director Ted Wilde that Lloyd could, quote, walk down any two blocks of Fifth Avenue in daylight with no makeup and go unnoticed. Wilde chose the most difficult stretch, 41st to 43rd Streets, but Lloyd nevertheless won the bet. He later admitted that he had lowered his eyes to avoid eye contact with anyone, and at the appointed time of the bet, 4 p.m., everyone was bound somewhere in a hurry and preoccupied with their own business, end quote. Because of the crowds in New York City that collected when filming was taking place, the original four-week shooting schedule turned into 12, and Lloyd spent $80,000 on a Lower East Side set back in Culver City to get away from the crowd so he could film some of the scenes, such as the big fight with the thugs. 
Throughout the two main chase scenes in the film, there is extensive use of rear projection techniques to provide the appearance of speeding through the New York City streets. And in the climactic trolley chase, the trolley has a spectacular crash into an overhead rail line, which was not planned at the time of filming, but was left in the film as an additional gag. Fortunately, neither the stunt driver on the trolley nor the horses pulling it were injured in the accident. Based on Lloyd's experience working on one and two real short comedies with producer Hal Roach when he was making a name for himself, he understood the importance of brainstorming ideas before filming, but not necessarily working from a finished script. Lloyd himself once said, quote, Our lack of method is deplorable, but somehow it works. End quote. I should also note that despite comedians Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton perhaps being bigger names at the time, Harold Lloyd was still a top box office draw and a bigger overall moneymaker than the other two, based on how prolific he was making his films. I mentioned earlier, and much has been made about Babe Ruth's cameo in the film. However, I argue that it's a bit more than a cameo. Ruth reportedly participated in the film as a favor to director Ted Wilde, after previously working with Wilde on Babe Comes Home. Based on the timing of when the film was made, Ruth may have just finished the 1927 World Series, which was a Yankee sweep of the Pittsburgh Pirates. One more 1927 Yankee shows up for what I deem the true cameo. If you know where to look, you can see Lou Gehrig pass behind Speedy's cab when they reach Yankee Stadium to drop off the babe. One last point that is often noted about this film is the use of the middle finger gesture. I've seen several places note that this is the first use of this gesture in film, but with no firm evidence to support that claim. The scene is part of the Coney Island sequence, when Speedy is checking himself out in a funhouse mirror and flips himself the bird. It's something that's probably gotten way more attention than it deserves, and is actually quite easily missed if you're not paying attention. So I want to move on and discuss a bit about the two key players in creating this film, Lloyd himself and director Ted Wilde, since we won't get much of a chance to cover either of them in later episodes or seasons of the show. Let's start with Harold Lloyd. Lloyd was born on April 20th, 1893 in Bouchard, Nebraska. He appeared in nearly 200 shorts between 1913 and 1921 before moving into feature films. He made 11 silent features, Speedy being the last, and then seven sound pictures. He is perhaps most famous from his iconic film Safety Last from 1923, where he appears hanging from a hot clock high above a city street. He began working with Thomas Edison's Motion Picture Company and eventually took parts with the Keystone Film Company before partnering with friend Hal Roach to create his Lonesome Luke character, patterned after the success of Charlie Chaplin. The character he created always wore the same horn-rimmed glasses seen on Speedy in this film, and that became his trademark, much like Chaplin's tramp with the bowler hat and cane. In 1919, Lloyd was posing for some promotional photos when he picked up a prop bomb and lit it. The only problem was, it was not just a prop, and it actually exploded, mangling his right hand and causing him to lose a thumb and forefinger. Why was there an actual bomb in the photo studio? I have no idea but the accident required his hand to be covered in a prosthetic for the remainder of his career. Lloyd did continue to have film success through the 1920s, until the arrival of the Great Depression, when his happy-go-lucky character started to feel a bit out of touch with the plight of the country. He continued to produce a few pictures through the 1930s and 40s before moving into some radio work. Throughout his life, Lloyd retained the rights to his films and re-released them periodically. 
He also produced two compilations of his work, one of which screened at Cannes in 1962. Lloyd was married to a woman named Mildred Davis in 1923, and together they had two children, Gloria Lloyd and Harold Clayton Lloyd Jr., along with an adopted daughter they named Marjorie Elizabeth Lloyd. Lloyd passed away from pancreatic cancer on March 8, 1971, in Beverly Hills, California, at the age of 77. Our other key player here is the director of the film, Ted Wilde. Born on December 16, 1889, in New York City, he began his career in films as part of Lloyd's writing staff, before moving on to direct several feature films from 1924 to 1930. Speedy was his final silent film, with Loose Ankles and Clancy and Wall Street being his only sound films, both released posthumously in 1930. Wilde died of a heart attack in Hollywood on December 17, 1929, at the age of 40. He is officially the only director to ever be nominated for Best Director of a Comedy and not win. Charlie Chaplin was originally nominated for the film The Circus, which we've covered previously on the podcast, but then removed so that he could be awarded the special award. The other nomination went to Lewis Milestone, director of Two Arabian Nights, which won the award. Unlike last episode's A Ship Comes In, there were plenty of reviews to be found for Speedy. In April 1928, Variety called Speedy, quote, a pip comedy on which anyone can write a catchline for reprinting and be right, end quote. The industry magazine Picture Play Review states that Speedy, Quote, lives up to its title all right, fairly bristling with surprises in the way of gags, and it has captured the spirit of New York in terms of rollicking comedy as few pictures ever have, end quote. Another magazine called Photoplay called Speedy a corking rib tickler and recommended taking every member of your family. The final review I want to note is from Motion Picture News, a magazine aimed at theater operators, which included guides on how to sell the films to their audiences. In June 1928, the review suggested very good drawing power for the film that has, quote, a very elaborate campaign book which offers excellent opportunities for advanced teaser advertising of the Ballyhoo and many opportunities for local tie-ups with taxi companies, streetcar companies, amusement resorts, moving van companies, bookstores, etc., end quote. I love looking back at the history of motion pictures and motion picture advertising is something I've really never thought much about looking at historically. It's actually really fun to see the newspaper advertisements for Speedy in particular. Being a comedy, they were busy and eye-catching, but just about all the examples I saw prominently featured Lloyd's smiling face. In terms of the movie tie-ins themselves, it's interesting that this was part of the business as far back as the 1920s. We obviously have a much bigger business of tie-ins today, with companies paying big bucks to be placed in the movies themselves. A hundred years ago, these tie-ins appear to be very localized and dependent on the theater owners in each town. Nowadays, it's a huge national and even international business, customized by marketing firms and even social media algorithms. So you just heard a few reviews of the film, but I also want to provide some uh, interesting critique that I found about the film. Uh, according to the website silentargolden.com, quote, The curse of being one of the great com comedians is that your work is compared to your other work, rather than the general fare that was available for audiences at the time, end quote. Had Speedy been considered with the other films of the year, it may have been more widely known among Lloyd's catalog, but as it stands, it figures a ways down the list after films like Safety Last. 
Speedy was featured in an exhibition at the George Eastman Museum as part of the America's Pastime series in 2017. There's also a nice short summary from the museum's curator of film exhibitions, Jared Case, on YouTube, recorded right at the beginning of the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic, which I will link to in the show notes. Regarding Lloyd himself, an article on the Criterion Collection website features author Philip Lopate calling Lloyd a, quote, brilliantly gifted physical performer with a genius for constructing comic gags, who understood the film medium with greater sophistication than all but a handful of his peers, end quote. The obvious contemporaries here that Lopate references are names like Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and perhaps to a lesser extent, Harry Langdon. Relating to the film specifically, Lopate continues that, quote, at a very basic level, the film is about modes of transport, and its rhythm is largely dictated by the many shots of people rushing via taxi, subway, streetcar, and motorcycle, end quote. On the other hand, Lopate also notes that it is about an older way of being, a more traditionally communal, unhurried morality, in conflict with the new, headlong corporate capitalism that sprang up in the Gilded Age. The plot hinges on a villainous railroad company that seeks to drive the old horse car line out of business and take over its tracks. When it comes to the fight scene between the railroad thugs and the war veterans, Lopate claims that, quote, a sort of popular front politics can be read into these scenes, which celebrate the enduring values of neighborhood, diversity, and local community against the globalizing corporation, end quote. Lopate notes that Lloyd separated his films into character pictures and gag pictures, rightly stating that Speedy falls well into the second category. Here, the pace alone, with its wealth of sight jokes, dictated that there would not be enough time for much character development. Speaking specifically about the hero character, separate from Lloyd himself, Lopate adds that, quote, the glasses were meant to signify a nerdy, maliquitose type, from whom one would not expect much daring do and who would therefore pleasantly surprise the audience when he rose to heroic challenges. End quote. And lastly, in reference to the pitfalls Speedy encounters on Coney Island, Lopate writes that the humor, quote, flows from the Lloyd's characters, thinking he is utterly normal, upstanding citizen, while those in his vicinity view him as a pervert. End quote. The final critique focuses on Babe Ruth's appearance in the film. Author Sean Croson stipulates that the inclusion of Ruth in this and other films sought to, quote, exploit Babe's iconic status for their appeal while contributing to his Ruthian image and affirming the American dream of success in the process, end quote. As previously mentioned, director Wilde was the sole nomination for the film in the category of Best Director of a Comedy. And once again, this was the only time that the award was given as starting in 1930, the following year, the award was rolled into the Best Director category. Lloyd himself was also one of the founding members of the Actors Branch of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and would eventually go on to receive an honorary Oscar in 1953. So I want to finish up with my thoughts on the film. As I mentioned off the top, I really, really liked this film. Loved it, even. It was... To be honest, the first Harold Lloyd picture I've seen, and I'm definitely going to be seeking out more of his films, uh, especially some of the ones that I've uncovered in my research. His comedy seems a little more fluid than Chaplin's and Keaton's by comparison, the other two masters being much more slapstick. That's not to say that Lloyd didn't have a few slapstick moments, which he did, but even those felt really natural for some reason. 
in the film, Lloyd is the obvious star of the show, and all the other characters are there to support his antics. A um, couple of the contemporary reviews I read felt that more time should have been devoted to Anne Christie's love interest, but I'm not sure I fully agree with that. I mean, it's it's clear that Speedy was in love with her, but his first love was the Yankees, as evidenced by the fact that he's willing to risk his job multiple times just to get the score of the current Yankees game. If he'd truly been interested in holding a job and providing for Jane financially, he would have put his love for the Bronx Bombers aside. When it comes to the action sequences in the film, I love the car chases scenes when Speedy is driving the taxi and the final scene with him rushing the streetcar across town. I would honestly hold these sequences up against anything you'll find in a Fast and Furious film today, as they had me on the edge of my seat even more so than a lot of the scenes that Hollywood puts out today. The Coney Island scenes were similarly fun, and I'm always amazed at some of the old amusement park rides that existed in the times before strict strict safety testing, several of which are on display in the film. I live a short drive from an amusement park called Seabreeze, and uh, there are several old photos displayed throughout the park showing what some of the rides looked like in the past, and it was fun to see some similar rides in action on the screen in this film after reading a bit about the history of rides from around the same time in another theme park. That said, I highly recommend Speedy for anyone who hasn't seen it. And the photo play review I referenced earlier is right. You really can bring the whole family. Even today, I doubt this would garner much more than a mild PG rating, if only for the extended fight scene between Wilton's gang and the Civil War vets near the end. As I've mentioned, there was a wealth of information available on Speedy as I was doing my research, so I had to pick and choose a little bit of what to include in my show notes this time around. I will include the links to the YouTube content I referenced, as well as a number of the commentaries and critiques I located. I'll also include a link to Amazon where you can purchase a copy for yourself if so interested. As always, please check out my website at theoscarproject.com and find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash theoscarproject. You can also join the Oscar Project discussion group on Facebook. And be sure to come back for our next episode of the Oscar Project podcast, where I discuss the film, The Patent Leather Kid. Thank you for listening. And as always, I'll see you at the movies.